Welcome everyone to this new episode of the Spring 2023 edition of our blog series. I am Alessandro Tacconelli, PhD candidate of the Center for Law and Economics at ETH Zurich. Basically every law student around the globe is familiar with the distinction between common and civil law systems. If the former, rooted in England and the US, involves precedent, so deference to previously published judicial opinions, the latter, practiced in continental Europe and elsewhere in the world, does not. In light of these and many others alleged distinctions, those two legal systems have been considered and still are inherently different. But is this really true? I'm very happy to have here with me today Olga Spaman, Lawrence R. Grove Professor of Law at Harvard Law School. Professor Spaman's research focuses on the law and economics of financial markets and corporate governance, judicial behavior, as well as comparative law. Today, we will try to examine together the myths and reality of civil and common law systems. Welcome, Professor Spaman. Thank you. So, Olger, before we dive into the core of the discussion, why don't you give us a brief definition of the common and civil law systems and explain how we ended up adopting such a distinction? Well, it's funny that you should ask it this way, because uh, the definition is actually already where the problem starts. Some people define common and civil law functionally, uh, much in the way that you did when you introduced the topic, by saying, well, common law, that's case law, law based on prior decisions of courts. Uh, and on the other side, civil law being statutory law, law based on legislation uh, pronounced by, by parliament. And that's, of course, a valid definition if one runs by it. But most of the world understands common and civil law initially quite differently, namely based on the different history of the law in England on the one side and the European continent uh, on the other side. And the experts coming from that sort of intellectual tradition, they actually disavow the difference between that the difference is about case law versus statute law. So these two definitions, they could overlap, but they, but they, but they don't. And then within the historical camp, there are those who think that the historical distinction is nowadays embodied mostly by England on the one side and jurisdictions like Italy, France, Germany on the other side. Uh, and there are others who say that, no, 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 no. Actually, the common law today is most embodied by the United States on the one side and countries like Argentina, uh, Spain, um, Bolivia on, on, on the other side. Now, obviously, since these individual legal systems are quite different, like even English law and US law today are quite different. Um, those definitions make, make a big difference. So let me take a step back and let me um, tell you how I like to think about it. Um, common law literally refers to the law created by the common law courts in London uh, that were created very early on in the, in the English monarchy. Um, and they created a law that was common 
to all of England, hence the name common law. And this was indeed law created by courts. It wasn't the only law created by courts. There were then other courts in England, uh, courts of equity in particular, that created what we what is often opposed to law, but then in a broader sense, we would also call law. So the common law in the technical sense wasn't all the case law there was, there was also equity. Um, today they are fused. On the continent, meanwhile, um, the Europeans in Italy actually, in the 12th century, rediscovered the Corpus Juris Civilis, uh, which was a compilation of Roman law, ancient Roman law, um, ordered by the uh, Emperor Justinian in the 6th century in uh, the Byzantine Empire. And um, the Europeans rediscovered this in the Middle Ages and hence the name civilians because they looked at this old bo um, body of text. They didn't live by those texts. They had local law that was different, but the Corpus Juris formed a sort of lingua franca which they all understood and you know, the ideas circulated all over the continent and they, continent, they circulated more there, had more influence there than in England because the English had already, because of this early unification, they already had their common law that, also, that had their own vocabulary which was distinct from the continent. And so two different legal traditions formed and then of course in the age of colonialism um, these bodies of law spread around the world because the English and the French and the Spanish and so on, they colonized almost all of the entire planet uh, and transplanted some of their law there. And we still see strong traces of this today, which is why it makes sense to talk about common law and civil law around the world. Of course, then the question is, what does that mean? Is it just some historical residue of some terminology uh, or is there something deeper that distinguishes these two legal families as they are called. Thank you so much for this overview, Olger. So in one of your papers, Judges in the Lab, you and co-authors investigated uh, two main research questions that I consider relate to the traditional narrative of common versus civil law systems. Namely, first you try to understand whether it is true that civil and common lawyers uh, in general, and judges in particular, think differently. And second, you try to understand whether it is true that judges' decisions are causally affected by horizontal precedent. Now, can you tell us a little bit more about this paper, your research and the results? Yeah, um, so this actually links very much to what I just said in the definition of common law and civil law and whether there's, let's say, substance to the historical difference. Is there really some different way of doing law in common law systems versus civil law uh, systems in general? Now, put this general, it's almost impossible to answer these questions. We have about 200 jurisdictions on this planet. They're all common law and civil law. To say anything general about them seems pretty daunting. Um, but anyway, in this project we, 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 we made a little step in the direction of answering these questions by looking at seven jurisdictions, two common law jurisdictions and five civil law jurisdictions. And what we tried to get at is um, the big claims that are being made about common law and civil law that these lawyers from these systems think differently. Now, again, that's a daunting claim. How do you get into something like that. How does somebody think? We can't look into people's heads. Very hard to ascertain that. So what we did 
we had at least some judges decide cases in the lab where we were able to track not literally their thoughts, but we could at least track what they were doing while they were deciding the case. Um, specifically, we could track what documents they were looking at at what moment in time. So we have the entire sequence, their workflow, if you want, or their clickstream data, maybe might be an expression people would use today. Um, and we can compare the sequences that they generated um, across countries and across uh, legal systems, uh, common law and civil law systems. And what we find there is that, um, yes, we can distinguish um, jurisdictions. Um, but we can't distinguish common law and civil law systems. There's another way of saying that um, individual legal systems in this particular study, they do look different, as I think they do in reality. So I already mentioned earlier that US law and English law are quite different. Um, that is for sure, but you can't group them into common law and civil law systems uh, on a deeper level. Superficially, yes, um, but not at this deeper level, and at least in this uh, particular study. The other question that we investigated at the same time, uh, with, the same, with the same judges and the same case, was the question to what extent judges are influenced by precedent. This is something that already came up even in your first question, um, the idea that common law judges do follow precedent, civil law judges do not. As I already said, specialists of comparative law actually disavow this notion. Uh, anyway, we wanted to test this. Um, now, this sounds easy um, because you might think, hey, I just have to look at published opinions and then I can see whether the judges cite precedent or not. And that's certainly something that is interesting and I think we'll get back to that. But the real question is, does the precedent have a causal effect on the decision that's actually reached by the judge? Not just on the reasons that they write, but on the decision that they actually reach. So that's what we wanted to try and try out in this particular experiment. And so we um, gave the judges all the same case, but we varied the precedent that they were shown. And we looked at whether the which precedent they were shown had an effect on how they decided the case. And, uh, I would say to my surprise and also to the surprise of law professors that we surveyed in advance, the answer was no, especially in the common law jurisdictions, especially um, in the United States. Very interesting, Olger, thank you. Somehow similarly, in another paper of yours, you and co-authors examined how 80 representative opinions of English and German courts in the late 19th century and early 21st century um, dealt with uh, uh, primary legal sources. Did you find any evidence of a divergence between those two courts and what can those results tell us? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, here we went back to the published opinions. I already said in my prior answer that published opinions need to be taken with a grain of salt because they are just what the judges represent to the outside, not what they um, felt or thought internally, but of course they are of interest and lawyers, uh, practicing lawyers, work with judicial opinions every day trying to ascertain what the law is, so surely it's interesting um, to look at those. And there is, I think, an idea widespread in comparative law that um, certain jurisdictions, let's now take England, Germany, those are the ones we look at, that they were quite different in the 19th century, but that they have been converging over time. And that's the theory that we examine here, specifically looking at published judicial opinions. And we find 
I'd say big picture two things. One is even in the 19th century, the opinions weren't as different as they are sometimes made out to be by the cliche of common law and civil law. So in particular, um, the, the German high court already used almost as much precedent as the um, British high court in the 19th century, using in the sense of citing it. Okay? Um, but at the same time, we don't see convergence between the late 19th century and the early 21st century. So whatever differences there were in the late 19th century, we actually still see today, um, more or less. Um, and we actually see even new differences. And so I'll give you um, the, the, the one big thing there. In the 19th century, neither the English nor the German courts cited much literature. They basically ignored it. At least they didn't actively reference it in their written opinions. Maybe they read it, but they didn't cite it. In the early 21st century, the German highest court cites a lot of literature. The English also cite more than they used to, but only the Germans engage in very intensive, I would say almost a debate with the literature. They don't just cite it as support for a particular position they bother to refute positions taken in the literature. It's sort of curious because you'd think, why don't they just ignore it, right? You, you, you're the court. You do, <laughs> you decide, what you decide uh, will be the law, so why do you bother debating with the literature? But they do, and the English don't, and that's a divergence that we only see um, today. So again, summary, um, differences weren't as big as they were cranked out to be in the 19th century. Uh, but they also haven't disappeared. And in fact, one might even say that they have widened as far as the published opinions go. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and research, Olger. Now, a question that I think remains unanswered based on our recollection so far is, what should we learn from this? I mean, if in practice, this distinction between civil and common law systems does not seem too old in reality, should we just abandon this distinction and in this case, what the, would the consequences be? Well, I wouldn't go as far as saying that it doesn't hold. I would say that uh, um, a small version of the claim um, does hold. And uh, if you go out into the world, as I did in, in a research project that's now quite a while ago, and uh, look at the kind of statutes that get adopted uh, around the world. Let's take Malaysia, for example. If you travel to Malaysia and you looked at their uh, financial law um, or you know, probably many other areas of law as well, you will have all these déjà vus if you are coming from a common law country. You will recognize the language. In fact, oftentimes you will recognize exactly the statute because there's an amazing amount of literal copying of legislative texts around the world within the legal families. So within the common law system, uh, countries, they only copy from other common law countries and within the civil law countries, they by and large only copy from other civil law countries. And so there's a family resemblance and uh, you know, that's just, I guess, if you didn't know about common law and civil law, you'd be confused. If you know about it, you'll, can, you can make sense of this. Uh, and uh, it has practical implications, which is that for one common lawyer, it's much easier to get into another common law system just because the terminology is familiar, not necessarily how the law functions at a really deep level, 
Like if you want to be a lobbyist in Washington DC, it's probably very different from what it's like in London or a lobbyist, lobbyist in Paris, probably very different from being a lobbyist in Rome, trying to influence the law, you know, knowing the ins and outs, that's quite different. But the terminology at least, uh, you can understand that's very helpful. That's uh, sort of the, the basic tools of, of the lawyer. So at that level, I think that the common civil law um, distinction is a useful organizing device to help us make sense of the world. Now, there's a stronger claim about common law and civil law, like that they think differently or whatever other things that people have said. Those claims, I can't even say that they're wrong because how would you empirically study such a question? It's easy to make such a claim without any evidentiary basis. And it's easy to make it because you can't really be refuted. You know, how, how could you refute, how could anybody refute such a claim? Um, so that, I think, um, you know, I think it would be prudent to abandon such claims until somebody actually provides evidence of those. As I said, in my uh, work, I've tried to provide at least some evidence from seven jurisdictions, not 200, not all of the claims that have been made, but at least from seven jurisdictions for what I take to be maybe the most important one about the importance of case law in the development of the law and the abstract claim about how they think. And as I said, we didn't find any evidence uh, for that in our data. Again, thank you for being with us today, Olger. We look forward to your future research. Thank you. And to our vlog viewers, we hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we did. See you next time.